Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Adam Bendel. Adam is the CEO of Tonic, a global community for impact investors with members in 26 countries. Tonic provides families, individuals, and companies with access to impact investment deals, tools, and networking. Adam has previously held senior leadership positions in consulting and tech and as an impact investor himself. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, So I want to kick it off by, before we dive into what Tonic does and and your role with Tonic, for those who might be unfamiliar, what is impact investing and why are people interested in it? Wow. Well, the the old what is impact investing question to start us off. Straight out of the gates. (laughs) Right out of the gates, yeah. So uh, impact investing is... Uh, investments in for-profit companies that have a social or environmental mission as well as the mission to make money. And so folks who invest with an impact lens do so seeking uh, financial return at some level and also social or environmental return. Got it. Um, And, you know, it's it's not a trend, uh, but I think a lot of people think that impact investing, you know, is something that is kind of just new. It's been around for a while. And um, I think this is a great place for you to talk a little bit more about Tonic and the the scale of the work that you've, you've been doing um, as the CEO of Tonic over the past three years. Yeah. So it's, it's true that it's not a brand new thing that the term impact investing was coined more than 10 years ago. Uh, And the practice of impact investing has rapidly evolved in that time. In the early iterations, I think folks thought about impact investing as uh, early stage investing in social entrepreneurs in difficult markets that are aimed at uh, providing basic goods and services to the poor or to those otherwise underserved. Um, And that definition has broadened dramatically over the past 10 years. And what Tonic does to serve its members who are active impact investors has changed with that. Today, people think about impact investing as uh, across multiple asset classes and frequently think about impact investing in terms of a portfolio approach uh, across multiple asset classes. And so what we do, um, I think we have been leaders in that thinking, but we've also followed. So uh, about half of what Tonic does is serve this global membership that you folks alluded to. Uh, we have uh, primarily family offices, foundations, and high net worth individuals in our membership. Uh, and all of them consider themselves to be active impact investors. And you did a, a lovely job of describing what we do primarily for those members. Uh, We convene them in events so that they can connect with each other and really have a sense of community. We do that 
um, online increasingly as well. Um, we uh, provide educational tools and frameworks for them, and then we um, we do investment. We host investment opportunities that we think would be interesting to our membership. As an example of uh, the kind of events we do once a year, we do something we call the annual global gathering, which is coming up on March 16th in Rancho Santa Fe, California. And that's our big uh, once a year gathering of folks from all around the world. Uh, otherwise, we do a lot of uh, more regional gatherings of people. Uh, but that one is notable um, for a, a number of reasons, but perhaps the one most salient uh, at, uh, for this podcast is that you guys will be doing a live podcast uh, from the Tonic Annual Global Gathering uh, in Rancho Santa Fe. Uh, and so uh, we look forward to hosting that. And I know that one of the things that it will be one of the things that attracts our members to come is this interesting series that you're doing to speak with impact entrepreneurs. So that's, that's a big chunk of what we do. And then I'd love to tell you about the, um, the things we do for the public as well. But since I've been yakking, I'll pause for a moment. Yeah. So um, just on the topic of your members, um, you mentioned that there could be companies or individuals or, or um, family offices. Is there a typical profile or are they just kind of come in all shapes and sizes? Yeah. So um, the, the typical profile is first of all, private wealth holders as opposed to institutional uh, folks managing other people's money. So that's a clear distinction. Uh, beyond that, it is um, a group of people who are investing very widely across all of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals, uh, across a wide range of wealth levels from, uh, although you do need to be an accredited investor because we're presenting unregistered securities as potential investments. Uh, but beyond that level, um, we have folks with a few million dollars of investment assets all the way up to more than a billion. And um, they all learn from one another. You, you might think that their needs are uh, quite different, and in some ways they are, but in many ways they're not, because um, the, uh, the differing wealth levels can support each other in uh, filling out rounds with um, different ticket sizes and so forth. Um, and because of the kind of uh, active focus on positive social or environmental impact, we find that these investors have a lot in common. So one of the things that you do is you help to sort of gather information about investment opportunities and organize and disseminate those to your members. So if they have a particular interest in, in one of those 17 goals, they can kind of find opportunities faster and they're a little bit pre-vetted too, probably. But uh, my question is um, what's the average sort of deal size that, flows through tonic is there a, a rule of thumb there or is it just sort of you know quite wide range so in terms of the ticket size for an individual investor i would say uh it can be as low as fifty thousand uh, dollars and uh as high as five hundred thousand or even a million uh of course the the, from the capital raising entity's point of view, whether that's an entrepreneur or a fund, they're, they're typically filling out rounds that, you know, range quite dramatically. At the enterprise level, it might be 
just a few million dollars or a couple million to, to more. At the fund level, it's typically much greater than that. Um, so uh, the individual ticket size is, is a little bit more consistent than the total round that the capital raiser brings. Right. Okay, cool. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, I've been a member of Tonic for, for a long time. And for me, one of the most inspiring parts of, of the Tonic vision is that Tonic encourages its members to also bring their whole selves to the conversation and to live the mindset or concept of impact investing in a, in a way that goes beyond just their investments. Um, Adam, I know that's a, you know, a quality of the network that you hold dear. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Nothing would make me happier, Eva, um, because you're right about that. It's a, we've just gone through a, a process of redoing our website and, uh, facing the challenge of trying to convey the special sauce in that sort of sterile digital form of the web. And I'd have to say, I don't think we've done a great job yet um, of doing that because it's, it's quite an elusive thing. I think you and other Tonic members can very eloquently describe the experience, the kind of uh, warmth of the community, the non-judgmental quality, uh, I think those are, are some of the things that have created this extraordinary atmosphere of trust where people of means feel comfortable sharing their journey in, in impact. And that journey is never a straight line. Um, it is, um, there are always ways in which we are out of alignment with our best intentions. I think, by the way, that is true for everyone, um, not just in the, not just impact investors. I think it's true for impact oriented enterprises as well. Um, and, and, you know, in most other aspects of our lives, but it's tricky to explore those out of alignment places and not feel judged. Um, and so creating an atmosphere where that can happen, where we say we share a common intention and I am willing to look at the places where my behavior, not just my investments, but my consumption decisions, the way that I deal with my employees or staff, uh, the decisions I make about um, how much real estate, how much personal real estate to own, how much to fly, given the climate emergency. Those questions, too, are on the table. And we will investigate those with mutual respect and with uh, a uh, kind of a deeply, you know, empathetic point of view that, that comes from realizing that, you know, I too am not yet quite perfect. That's like vulnerability opens the door to improvement. So, so true. And I think that's so true. Yeah. And um, I think one of the first steps to becoming an impact investor is to discover and understand your own values. And for some people, that might take a period of time, uh, and Tonic is, has uh, proven to me to be a place to let that unfold uh, within myself, my family, the work that I do. Um, so I wanted to definitely touch on that. Yeah, you know, that's a, so that's a thing that we, um, it's, that's kind of received wisdom in the impact investing space, and I want to give you a little update on it. If, if I may, from our point of view. So we've, 
recently completed the design of a curriculum for those getting started in impact investing, which we call the Activator Series. And it's quite comprehensive. It's a, it's a benefit of membership uh, that, that our members don't pay anything more for. Um, and it required us to think through the sequencing of uh, steps to become an active impact investor. And we designed this both for folks who have, uh, you know, lots of investment experience and those who have none, but who are in either case new to impact investing. And what we concluded is that um, you have to start with an exploration of your values, but if you wait to make your first investment before you, uh, until you have got that really clear, you're going to wait a long time because you learn quite a bit from doing. And so we have put uh, the section, the module on crafting your theory of change, a kind of crisp uh, depiction of um, if then, if this, then that thinking that I, I believe that I will, for example, uh, improve the livelihoods of uh, smallholder farmers by improving their uh, the productivity of their yield. It would be a kind of theory of change. And so I'm investing with that goal in mind. Um, it takes people a while, months, years even, to really refine a theory of change. And that's fine. You don't need to wait until you have that perfectly uh, formulated before you act. I'm curious, Eva, because I know you to be in a very active um, impact investor yourself. How does that uh, resonate with your experience as an investor? So uh, I, I agree, um, but coming mostly from the perspective of just kind of being an investor, I do think in general one needs to dive in and, as I would have said in my hedge fund days, do a deal uh, in order to learn uh, and learn what's right for them and what not may not be right for them. So I think it's it's a, a I, I've in, in just hearing your response, I've learned a lot uh, about kind of the process. And you're right. I think that there is a little bit of testing that can be done first, um, and that's a great. That's a great piece of advice for burgeoning impact investors, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners um, actually may or may not be impact investors, but especially if they're not, are looking for those first key steps on how to get involved. I'd love to turn a little bit to uh, just the practice of investing and and returns and perhaps myth-bust a little bit. Um, We know from extensive studies that you don't have to sacrifice returns when you're an impact investor. Um, I mean, I know it's possible to generate financial returns alongside social returns, but still many investors are skeptical. Have you had instances where you've had to convince uh, potential members or even members that impact investing is viable and an option for their portfolios? So it's certainly a common question, and I think you are right, a common misperception that Uh, impact investing is inherently concessionary. I think one of the reasons uh, that that myth persists is that the truth is more nuanced than a simple soundbite can convey. So most tonic members, the majority of tonic members are targeting market rate returns across their portfolio, but also the majority will make some uh, sub-commercial investments when they see that they can uh, achieve or expect that they can achieve outsized impact with those investments. 
And they do that in the context of a larger portfolio uh, on the plan that some of the other investments will uh, carry the overall portfolio, which is, of course, the way any traditional, at least early stage or venture investors look at things anyway. So we see a kind of role for both, a role for market rate uh, impact investments that have both market rate returns and uh, impact alongside. Uh, and that role is mainly about uh, convincing traditional capital, including those who feel constrained by fiduciary obligations to invest for impact, basically treating impact as an additional constraint along with market rate financial returns or risk-adjusted returns, um, and also a role for catalytic or sub-commercial uh, investing as well, because uh, there are some investments, while you do not have to trade uh, return for uh, impact, if, if that is a constraint you have, um, many of our members uh, relax that constraint very consciously in certain areas because they see that there are very impactful investments that won't quite make uh, market rate returns, or at least not on a risk-adjusted basis, but can be hugely impactful and return their capital and then some. And so uh, a conscious portfolio construction strategy weaves those things together in ways that meet the needs of the, of the investor. And it's to, to say that an impact investor is, in some cases, targeting um, sub-commercial returns is not to say that they're throwing all financial due diligence or caution to the winds, not the ones that we see. Rather, they're simply taking on the additional challenge of um, managing impact as a constraint in portfolio construction. That's super interesting um, because you've been at this now for a little over three years at Tonic. And I'm curious if you've seen that trend, you know, of, of the sort of a balance between commercial and sub-commercial. Is it stayed about the same or is it trending in any particular direction? So I think uh, this is related, Ed, to the question about kind of the definition of impact investing that we discussed at the top. If you think about or if you thought about impact investing as kind of early stage investments in difficult markets and social enterprises, then those were almost inherently, um, you know, lower, often lower returning. It's not always the case, but it, that is off, those are difficult markets. You have to make the market at the same time that you're investing in a particular enterprise. Um, so those tended to be more tend to be more concessionary. As you think about a portfolio approach across real estate, across um, your muni bond portfolio, across even public equities, there you see lots of opportunities to get impact and and not have to. Uh, relax your return expectations at all. And so I think as our def as the definition of impact investing and as our approach has migrated more towards a portfolio approach, I think we've seen um, a move towards market rate uh, as a constraint becoming much more common in the impact investing world. And then the other factor of that with that, of course, is the entry of big name traditional investors into impact investing. Uh, where, uh, you know, almost all of them, not in every case, but almost all, 
uh, would tell you that they're not making any trade-off on uh, impact versus uh, financial returns. And uh, so that part of the conversation has gotten a lot louder than the part of the conversation that um, is, is uh, for example, represented by, by Acumen, uh, where it's a philanthropic model. They take donor money and they invest on the donor's behalf in impactful companies. Uh, and they're targeting really difficult markets, the, the kind of edge, you know, frontier markets and, and uh, ideas uh, where traditional capital simply would not go. So we see it as a spectrum, uh, but the market rate part of the conversation has gotten louder in my, in my experience. Cool. Yeah, I, I've observed the same, but it'd be re- I would be remiss if I didn't say that being an investor in emerging markets in very early stage companies, I have a 27% IRR in my portfolio. So it's, there's still is, well, there's still potential. Um, I think time is the, just takes longer for these companies to become profitable, but that's really the the hardest point um, for us. Um, Turning back to tonic, who benefits from tonics, tonic members activities? Um, you know, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, what kind of impact are your members generating in the world? Well, I'm going to first take the opportunity to, to, um, to answer that question by talking about the ways in which the public benefits from the work of our members. So as I mentioned, it's, our membership is about half of what we do, and the other half is sharing learnings. And we have two projects that I want to share with your listeners because they're freely available resources that may be useful. One is a project called T100, which is a study of uh, the journey to full deployment of that. those of our members who committed to 100% impact in at least one portfolio that they control. We've written three reports. We collect data from those members, uh, both behavioral uh, survey data and also detailed investment portfolio data that they allow us to aggregate, anonymize, and share with the world. We share that in the form of the reports that I mentioned. There is a directory on the Tonic website, uh, tonic.com, that is a list of more than 1,500 investments that our members have made and shared with us through that project. Um, And we share it with an academic research consortium to power academic research on impact investing, which we think is super important. And then the second project that we do is something called Impact Terms. It's at impactterms.org. And that is a compilation of the uh, most innovative deal terms and structures in impact investments, typically uh, private and typically earlier stage type investments. But as we've developed the field, we've learned that many of the structures that we inherited from traditional finance aren't necessarily purpose suited for all impact investments. Um, you may have investments in your portfolio, Eva, that are, um, you know, cash flow positive and they're making money, but the, um, the idea of a traditional exit to return your capital may still feel elusive. And so there's a lot of experiments happening now with uh, self-liquidating instruments where for example, revenue-based financing, where the investor gets its uh, its capital back over time, but on a timetable that's tied to cash flows of the business um, rather than arbitrary. Oh, I'm going to check that out. That's really interesting because I've always wondered, 
you know, how, how the sort of exit, you know, plays into a lot of these things because for early stage companies, it's, it's sometimes hard to, to think like, all right, well, if I get this investor, then they're going to want to go, you know, exit at some point, get their money back. And then what do I do if I'm still serving my purpose? I don't really feel like just selling this to anybody. And that's, it's interesting. I'm going to check that out and see what, what those options are. That's so right, Ed. I mean, the you know, there is an additional constraint on the exit for the mission-driven company, which is you want the mission to uh, outlast the transaction. And that does mean that you don't want to sell to just anyone. Uh, you want to sell to someone that you feel, you know, can further uh, the mission uh, when, the, when the founders step back. And that is a constraint that... in impact investors want to support. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity for innovation uh, in kind of win-win structures there that aren't debt or equity, but some something new altogether. Yeah, I agree. And we talk a lot about B corporations on this podcast. In fact, Ed's company is a B corporation or B certified. Um, and uh, I think that personally, in my view, is the inculcation of those values into the company, you know, at, at any point, can live on in many ways. It's um, one way to look at it. Um, you've been the C- CEO of Tonic for over three years. I'm really personally curious, what trends have you noticed in this in the industry? Um, you know, how are people getting involved? In what ways? Uh, you know, anything else that is you think our listeners would be interested to hear? Yeah, so uh, the fastest growing class of mutual funds in the United States is sustainable investments. And so that is a broader indicator of the uh, level of interest. Um, I read something, I think, in the Financial Times this weekend, um, though I I can't quote it exactly, that somebody, maybe it was Deutsche Bank, um, had estimated that half of all uh, funds globally now have some kind of sustainability or ESG lens. So that's, I don't know if that that number is right or not, but it it struck me as credible and very interesting. So that's the kind of rising tide um, uh, kind of environment that that we are in. Now, impact investors typically go further or want to go further than uh, simply screening out investments. And so one of the things, sorry, screening out investments that uh, they wouldn't be comfortable owning. And so, uh, or, you know, using environmental, social, or governance factors as a risk mitigation strategy, which is the most common way that traditional investors employ ESG. So we now are talking about this distinction between values alignment and impact contribution. So values alignment is about owning companies that you feel good about, either um because they are well-run, because they take a multi-stakeholder model approach, that they're not just serving shareholders, but they're also serving their employees, their customers, the communities in which they operate, their suppliers, the planet. Uh, And uh, sometimes that's only being invested in sectors that you feel good about. Sometimes that is investing in best-in-class companies in you know, quote unquote, dirty sectors, right? So you, you think that you 
identified a fossil fuel company that is really trying hard to um, envision the, the kind of post-fossil fuel economy, uh, perhaps you would invest in that. But all of that is, we would say, values alignment. It's about feeling good about what you own, and it's often the place that a new impact investors start when they uh, they tackle their portfolio, what our co-founder Charlie Kleisner calls detoxifying the portfolio. The second category of things are those that are making an actual impact contribution. And that's a narrower and harder to find uh, sweet spot for impact investors. There, we want to understand that our capital is doing something that otherwise would not happen. Uh, it might be that we are supplying new or undersupplied capital markets, and we have a more patient or flexible approach to uh, to uh, harvesting our gains from the investment. Um, and that is also the place where uh, the concessionary capital plays, where if you are willing to, at least in some investments, uh, get less than market rate returns, um, then all of that. It qualifies as impact contribution, uh, though you know. I, for clarity, I will say it is not only um, sub-commercial investments where you can be contributed. Um, and so that distinction, I think, the language isn't yet settled in the industry, but getting clearer as the big players come in with uh, ESG funds uh, about the distinction between values alignment and impact contribution is something that we see happening much more broadly in the market. You've had quite a career, um, entrepreneur, investor, lawyer, consultant. I'm interested in hearing what motivated you to pursue a career at this intersection of social good and investing. What drew you to Tonic? The opportunity to have really deep meaning and a sense of service in my day job. I was an impact investor personally, as you mentioned, after my first significant exit, I sold a, a business that I had started to a public company, and I was still working at that public company in a, a pretty uh, demanding role, a series of demanding roles, and doing my impact investing on nights and weekends. And I saw with the, the tonic leadership opportunity, a chance to put those two things that had always been sort of separate paths in my life together, my opportunity to give back to the world um, in gratitude for uh, the uh, successes that um, my privilege and my hard work had engendered, uh, the opportunity to really be among some of the most joyful uh, investors and people that I've ever met, an incredible group of people. Um, and uh, the opportunity to further this field uh, of impact investing at a really interesting time, at a time when it's it's no longer an infant, um, but it's sort of long-term success as an adult is not yet assured. And so I think impact investing is in its adolescence, and it's a really interesting time to play in uh, you know among among its leaders. Ten years in the future, where do you see Tonic? And also, where do you see impact investing? Just a small question. <laughs> so I don't know. You guys have, you have nothing but small questions here, right? So um, the, uh, the timeline is not clear to me. 
And since I've been an innovator in my uh, previous career, sort of over and over again, one thing I know about myself is um, I'm, I'm not always right about uh, sort of where things are going, but I'm often right about where things are going. And I am also often overly optimistic about how quickly they will arrive. So I'm going to be a little more cautious here today in terms of predicting a timeline. But I'll tell you the vision, which is super clear, and that is that all investments uh, honor uh, people and planet. That's the world that we're working towards. And it's one that I, I do think will come someday where this, uh, the, the kind of current form of capitalism um, will be seen as a sort of temporary aberration. You know, I don't think capitalism started in Adam Smith days with the current set of definitions. Uh, I think it started in the 70s with Milton Friedman uh, and his, his famous uh, New York Times uh, pronouncement that the social purpose of business is to increase its profits. And you, you may be familiar with the uh, change that the Business Roundtable announced uh, about three months ago, this influential group of about 170 U.S. CEOs of public companies who adopted the stakeholder model and, and rejected the Milton Friedman shareholder model that the only constituency that matters for a public company is its, or for any company is its shareholders and increasing stock price. And I, right now, it's three months into that pronouncement. It's words so far rather than deeds, but it's indicative of a broader trend uh, that is stronger, frankly, in Europe than it is in the United States, uh, but is happening here as well. Uh, and that trend is to recognize that what is externalized from the enterprise is borne by the commons. The, 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 the planet is a finite resource and that um, the idea that we can simply pollute it and screw up its climate um, and just go find something else somewhere else um, is, is rapidly kind of running out of steam as an idea. And so the integration of social and environmental impact into the thinking of business leaders, I think, is an inevitable trend. And many of your, uh, the, the other entrepreneurs that you uh, interview on this podcast are leaders in that trend. They understand that. And they understand even if, you know, they're working on something that isn't, um, you know, directly, uh, you know, for example, providing services to, to underserved people or something like that, that businesses can be run with a greater sense of integrity than we have uh, imposed upon them or, or thought to be the norm over the past 50 years. And that that integrity involves uh, treatment fairly of all of its stakeholders. So I think it's an extraordinary time to be uh, contemplating that future. I don't know how long it will take until uh, externalities are priced in, until uh, most businesses are run with a uh, purpose-driven framework, um, until it seems to be the anomaly. If you would ask a CEO, you know, what's the, the purpose or mission? And it was, you got some answer that sounded like make money. I, I think that that day is coming. Uh, how soon, I think, will be up to all of your listeners and all of us. Let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, just in closing, I, I think employees, leaders, 
and people in general are looking for more purpose. So that combined with the the great need and moral imperative of being an impact investor and and perhaps doing less harm to the planet than we've been doing in the past decades creates a perfect scenario, in my view, for impact investing to grow. So Adam, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you join us and tell us more about your work, what motivates you, and also give us a little bit of a mini playbook on how people can become impact investors. And we too hope that this becomes uh, you know, more than more than the group that's already doing it and becomes a more common way to invest. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you both. And I'll look forward to listening into the podcast in March at the annual gathering. Yeah, we're looking forward to the live show. Thanks so much, Adam. You're making a big difference there at Tonic. Keep it up. You guys too. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.